All right, so if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to continue to worship our awesome God, starting in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, as we uh, had a bit of a hiccup last week, we're going to start Advent this week, so we're going to be looking at God and how he keeps his promises for us. Uh, not too long ago, I was watching a show, and it got me thinking for this sermon. And you've probably heard it over and over again. In an action movie, as someone's like hanging from a cliff and someone reaches out their hand, or it's always in a romance movie as well, these words, don't you trust me? Or trust me. And I often thought, I thought about that. And when I, I was thinking about it, there's absolutely no history in those movies at all for me to trust whoever's putting out their hand. <laughs> right? Like, I have more faith in myself at that moment of holding on to the edge of the cliff than I do whoever is there. Yet, for some reason, they always grab hold of that individual's hand. So what makes this individual trust this person that they have no idea who it is? So this question came to my mind. Have you ever had someone make a promise, then not keep it? What does that do to your aspect of trust? And further, what makes us trust the person who's putting their hand out to us that we don't know? Because we've all had stories in our lives of people who've made promises who haven't followed through. I think I shared a story once of, of going, uh, my grandfather saying, uh, hey, let's, let me bring you to the corner store and I'll buy you a comic book and a, and a chocolate bar. And I walked away from, that to me is a promise, right? This is what we're going to do, and this is what I'm going to do for you. I walked away with just a lecture about history and finances, uh, and no comic book and no chocolate bar, <laughs> right? Expectations are important. But here, when we look into the Word of God, we're going to be exposed to a God that is a covenant-keeping God. He is a God who keeps His promises and Christmas reminds us of how God always, always keeps his promises. So if you have your Bibles with you, we'll be in Matthew 7, verses 10 to 16 first. And then keep your thumb there, because we'll be in Matthew 1 later on. And this is what the word of the Lord says in verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 7. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as the heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how, when he knows how to refuse the evils and choose the good. For the boy, for before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings who dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. And then move over to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18. 
to the end of the chapter 23, it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For what? For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father God, we just thank you as we continue to worship you through the opening of your word. God, I pray that by your spirit you make this glorify yourself, Lord. There's no way that I can do this on my own. So by your spirit, will you make this turn out well? Use this sermon, Lord, for your glory, for the joy of your people, and for the salvation of the lost. And amen. Perspective matters, especially when we're looking at prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 7, we need to look back a little bit before we can look forward. Because as we see in verse 1, in the days of Ahaz, the year is about 735 B.C., and King Ahaz had just begun to reign in the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah are now separate, okay? So this is what we're talking about in the grand scheme of things And he is from the line of King David. And here's the thing. As he is from that line, he should have understood God's protective care. But Ahaz is known purely for, for his apostasy. He did not follow God. The Bible actually describes him as doing evil in the eyes of God. There is no part of him that did follow God. And that's really what matters as we look into this promise that God gives us later on. Because in verse 6, we see that there's a threat that has been made. Because the two kingdoms of, of, of Israel and Syria were coming and they were threatening Judah, saying, join with us so that we can attack Assyria. And Judah's like, oh no, two against one, not really a good thing, right? And that is what's beginning to happen here. And we see that Ahaz could trust the Lord to protect him from his enemies. And God gives Ahaz a sign to say that this promise will happen, that, hey, if you trust me, I will take care of you. But Ahaz has nothing to do with it at all. He puts his trust already in Assyria, and he rejects this sign. But the promise still stands, even though Ahaz rejected it. And we see this in verses 5 to 9. It doesn't matter. Uh, this is an amazing description because it doesn't matter what the two kings are saying. It is what the sovereign Lord says that matters. God is in control. And he says that over and over again in this chapter as he talks to King Ahaz. If God says that the threat will 
come to nothing, that is how it will be. Human threats are to be dismissed and divine promises are to be firmly trusted. Why? The simple truth is this. Because God vetoes all human intentions. How could God possibly be sovereign, or let alone God, if my actions can dethrone his plan? And what is it that promise that God gives the promise to Ahaz? We see that in those verses that I read in verses 10 to 16. We see in verse 11, ask a sign. God goes and says to Ahaz, ask. You don't believe me? Ask. Do it. I dare you. Triple dog dare you. I'm going to do it, God says. Go ahead. A sign would authenticate this message about the future that, look, Ahaz, you can trust me. If you haven't seen how I provided throughout everything in the past, how I brought you, your people out of Egypt, how I brought them into the promised land, how everything I've said has come true, ask another sign. Ask another sign. But here's the thing. Normally asking for a sign was a sign of weak faith. But here God sees Ahaz's weakness even before it's offered. And he gives him this offering of a sign anyways. And he says, let it be deep. Let it be high. Nothing is outside of my sovereignty. Imagine God coming up to you and saying, you doubt me? Ask any sign. As crazy as it could be. You think it's impossible? It's not. Because I am God. Nothing is outside the sovereignty of God. Nothing is impossible for him. And we see that even as we begin to look into this virgin birth. To point to the sign that he will give. No sign is too great for our God to accomplish. And the word of God says this over and over again. We see it in Deuteronomy 10 when it says, Behold, to the Lord your God belongs heaven and the heavens of heavens and the earth with all that is in it. Or in Psalm 139 verse 8, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Or even in Romans, Nor heights, nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing is too great for our God. But then verse 12 comes. But Ahaz, I will not put the Lord to the tests. See, Ahad comes out and he tries to act all spiritual. Because if you remember your Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, it says, do not test the Lord thy God. There's my King James for the day. But Ahaz comes along and says, oh, come on, Isaiah, we're not supposed to do that. So I'm not going to test him because God says that. The problem with this is that Ahaz has already given all the money in the temple to King Assyria. He's already put his trust in something else. He's coming, he's saying the right words, but his actions are completely false. 
In reality, he had already made up his mind and he has placed his faith in the chariots and the horsemen of Assyria rather than the Lord. So the question is this. Is that you? Are you doing that? Are you coming to church saying all the right words, doing all the right actions, but at the end of the day, you aren't resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? I want you to take this serious because I was thinking about this. Is this you? Are you trying to accomplish all of these things that God has called you to do in your own power, in your own abilities, in your own bank account, in your medication? What are you trusting in today? For Ahaz, he was trusting in a military power and completely ignoring the God who had demonstrated himself over and over and over again. So God comes and he says, ask a question. And in verse 13, he says, O house of David. And God calls Ahaz to remember the covenant that he had already made with him. Look, all of those people who are against you, it won't happen because I made a promise to you that the line of David will not be broken. It will continue to be forever. And so verse 14 comes along. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. A virgin. God does the impossible by making a young woman who had no sex to have pregnant, to get pregnant. Okay, so in our day and age, this is possible, right? We understand that. You have IVF and all those things. But they still require a man-made process. This had nothing to do with man at all. Mary was pregnant, a virgin. Here is this pure act of God. Nothing is impossible. And Emmanuel, God with us. What an amazing promise of God to save, bless, and protect his people It's in these verses that God gives an amazing sign that will prove God's saving presence with his people. Ahaz attempt to refuse it, but but Isaiah gives it anyways. I don't care. I'm still doing it. What is the main thing here? Ahaz and God have a completely different view concerning the threats of the attacks that are coming from another nation. Ahaz comes along and puts his firm faith in the king of Assyria and has given gold from the temple to to the Assyrians. He doesn't put his trust in the covenant-keeping God. Where are you resting in? What are you assuming will get what are you assuming is going to get done on your own? See, back to the whole movie thing with me hanging from a cliff or the superhero, or whatever, hanging from the cliff, and, and the man, it's usually a man, uh, grabbing down and saying, trust me, grab my arm. Everything in Ahaz's history says, I should not trust Assyria. Everything in God's history says, you can trust me. So God makes a promise. The promise that was made is that he would save his people, but a promise made is nothing unless a promise is kept, right? 
And that brings us to this next point, a promise kept. In Matthew, verses 1 to 18 to 25 says, says those things. And we see that back in verse 21, Jesus. Do you know what the word Jesus means? Do you know what the name means? Yeah, it means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh saves. This birth of Jesus gives the unfolding of God's salvation. It is also the fulfillment of Scripture. This is the fulfillment of what God promised all the way back in, in, in 700 years before in Isaiah. God's promise is being kept. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet, as verse 22 says. That is, the prophet Isaiah, in this case, spoke as God moved. These are God's very words. Jesus Christ was going to be born, is born. The birth of Jesus shows that God is with us. In important ways, God is always with us. We can never flee from his presence. He is in the heavens and the depths, on land and at sea. We can ignore God. We can deny him. We can curse him, but he never disappears. His promise will always happen. His reign extends over all creation, even now in a way over hell itself. God is omnipresent. Nevertheless, Matthew says that with Jesus' birth, God's entered, God entered into human history in, in a new way. He is with us. The prophecy has come true. The promise is kept. And he comes in power and blessing. Because as we see in verse 22, all this took place. Matthew points back to Isaiah to remind us, hey, look, God didn't just make a promise. He wasn't just like your grandfather who thought, hey, let's bring you out to the corner store to get a chocolate bar and not get you a chocolate bar. I'll be going for counseling for that later. (laughs) We can trust him. And in verse 23, it affirms again, a virgin birth. We can traditionally speak of the virgin birth, but the gospel stresses the miraculous conception of that, not the birth, the conception. The virgin conception of Christ. See, the miracle lay in the manner of Christ's conception. There's no part of this being a human act. Every step is an act of God purposely setting out a plan to save his people. You think you have any part in God calling you to yourself? You didn't, man didn't even have any part in the baby being born. So here's the important thing. What the virgin birth shows us is that when Jesus was born as a human baby, it shows his supernatural character because Jesus' birth was the work of God alone. Humanity cannot rescue itself from sin. I cannot rescue myself from sin. You can't either. Only God can and did. Beginning with the virgin conception. What happens in this miraculous conception shows that Jesus is for sure the Son of God who can take away the sins of the world. You can't mess around with this. If you don't believe in the virgin birth, you can't believe that Jesus is enough to take away your sins. It can't. It's foundational. 
It's what we would call orthodox. You have to believe that. If you don't believe in the virgin birth, I'm going to go out and tell you, you are not saved. You can't be. To not believe that Jesus was born in this way is to say that Jesus is not divine. And it is, if he's not divine, he can't pay the price for your sins. See, that doctrine, that teaching of the virgin birth is very important. It holds that Jesus' birth was the result of a miracle. Christ's miraculous birth tells us much about his nature and who he is, that he was born of a woman, demonstrates that he was indeed human and became one of us, but it also shows that he is fully Christ, 100% man, 100% God. We call this the hypostatic union, it's important. So those who do not believe in the virgin birth usually do not believe that Jesus is the true Son of God. So the virgin birth is an important aspect. See, what we see here when we look at how Jesus was born of a virgin is not just how Christ, uh, we see how Christ comes to, to save us from a sin. We see that his conception was the work of God alone. That this is the fulfillment of a promise. This is where our hope is found. We can't rescue ourselves. It shows to our greatest dilemma that we ever have. We all have the same problem. We all have a problem because there's a holy God. And we've sinned against this holy God. And because of that sin, we deserve our right punishment is hell itself. But when we look at this, we see how the God-man came down from heaven to, to be born of the virgin birth, to grow up, to die on the cross, and for three days later, he rose up again. So that anyone who repents and believes that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Savior will be saved. So what we see is that our God is a promise-keeping God that he himself came down to pay the price for our sins. See, Christmas reminds us that God keeps his promises. This is why it's such a great time. I love Christmas. Yes, because you get presents. I like presents, okay? It's my love language. You can ask my wife. But the greatest present, as we've, been, as we've been reminded of as a family, as we've been walking through our family worship time, looking through a book in Advent, on Advent, it just keeps pointing us to the promise of God. The greatest gift that we possibly could have is that I could be made right before a holy God. When I deserve death, he gives me life. So I come, and yes, I have a great time opening up presents because, again, it's my love language. But let it not take away from the greatest gift possible. This reminds us that God keeps his promises. We live with true hope because God always keeps us, keeps his promise, both in the past, the present, and the future. So this is the so what. We need to live in that true hope, because God always keeps his promises. Advent is that reminder to us of how God himself keeps his promise. 
800 years before it even happened, God's promises that he will come to be with his people and to save his people, and that's exactly what happens through the birth of Jesus Christ. So the question is, do you trust him? And the main thing that you need to get at is, how does your life show that you trust him? It's easy for me to come and say, oh yeah, I trust him. But how does it look? How does your life look like you are trusting him? Because for Ahaz, he said all the right things. But his actions did not line up with what he was saying. How does it show in your life that you indeed trust God? Has he ever given you a reason not to trust him? No. Not once. He has always kept his promise. He has always been true to his word. It has always come true. Has it ever been a time in your life where you've read his word and you went, oh, wow, God, you really didn't get that one right? And no is the answer. So let me ask you this question then. What would it look like in your life, in my life, in our lives, but specifically in your life, if we lived daily a life that fully trusted God. At the end of the day, obedience is a trust issue. Do I believe that God is better? Do I believe that his word will be true? Do I trust God's word? How about in a craving to have the new and the better stuff? How about with our money and our call to worship God with it? How about, how would it look like at work or at school if your life showed that you truly trusted God? What would it look like if you fully trusted him in every aspect? And then ask this question, why don't you? What lie are you listening to in your life that says that you can't trust God at his word? Because even Ahaz had multiple examples of how God always kept his promises. I struggle with this, right? But there's never anything in his word that says, I can't trust him. The only way we can grow to trust God is to know that God keeps his promises. And the only way that we can know God keeps his promises is if we actually spend time in his word being reminded that God keeps his promises. Spend time in his word, be in prayer, be in community with other people who are going to slap you across the head and say, no, that's a lie. Maybe not physically, okay? Please don't. (laughs) But at least verbally. Open the word of God with one another and say, look at the promises of God. Look what he has done for you. Is he not good? I know it's hard. With tears and crying and weeping, I know it's hard. But is not our God good? We have a promise-keeping God. And we live with a true hope because God always keeps his promises, both past, present, and future. For the one who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, our greatest hope is that we will be with Christ forever. That we get to spend eternity with him. That is a great thing. And that's what Christmas reminds us of. 
as we continue to worship our awesome God. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for who you are and what you have done for us. May we be reminded daily that you are a promise-keeping God. And may that truth affect every aspect of our lives. May we be a people that trust you daily. Lord, forgive us when we don't. God, I know that you are faithful to forgive. And give us the strength to trust you, Lord, to be obedient to what you have called us to do and to be. Lord, you are better. May we proclaim your goodness to each other, to the ends of this world. Amen.